James Lowe started ministry in his mid-twenties with Marvin Winans in Detroit, Michigan. In 1995, Pastor James married Debbie Winans and in 2003 moved to Tennessee and began serving as director of Youth Life Foundation of Tennessee. With a Bachelor of Science in Social Work from Eastern Michigan, Pastor James Lowe worked for over 12 years in youth development and intervention programs and services. Pastor James became the Senior Associate Pastor of Bethel World Outreach Center in 2007 and the Senior Pastor in February 2012. James lives in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife Debbie and their three sons. Welcome to the stage, Pastor James Lowe. Hallelujah. If you knew what he did to me, brought me from being gloomy to rapping to you through me, it couldn't have happened faster. God is my master. Rice Brooks is my pastor. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop. I just, I, I just, I don't know why I found a little rap flow on me right now. It's the youth uh, thing. All right, now, a couple of things I'm upset about. Let me get that out the way so I can be spiritual. I'm very upset. Very upset. That when I come to South Africa and I, I want to go shopping, it's discrimination against people who wear 2X and 3X. You can't find it. But, I, but, I, but, but it's okay. Because what I decided, do you like this shirt I have on? I had it especially made. It's excellent material. And I brought a few extra. Here's the catch. If you're not a 2X or a 3X, it's probably not for you. <laughs> but, but, listen, if you, are, if, if, if you wear 2X or 3X, <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> don't discriminate. South Africa, don't discriminate against your blessings. A blessing will come to the 1X and the, and the L and the M and the small, but you can't discriminate. Okay. <sighs> some of you, this little, today this little, Anybody ever heard of Amy Grant? Okay, so Amy Grant, a long time ago, she wrote a song that I feel is prophetic for some of you tonight. And more than the, the quick little melody, the words can be quite disturbing if you knew what I knew about what's about to happen to you. Because if you came to this meeting and you did not want your life to change forever, you should find a way to the bathroom, to your car, and out. There are no choices here. If you thought you had a choice, like, well, maybe I won't respond to the altar call at the end or something, the way I'm praying over you, your life won't be right. I come to mess you up. It's already too late too late. You should not have come. But the song says, um, I'm so glad 
Glad to know the reason why I'm happy, sad. Since he blew it all away, cause once I held it in my hand, it was a kingdom made of sand. Then he blew it all away, now I'm able to say that I'm glad. So whatever you've built, possibly, that may not have been built by him, but by your own self-will or government. I am coming today with the power and grace that God gives me to blow with you that kingdom away. Because it cannot stand. Father, I pray tonight as we get into the word, you would not only help us, that you would supernaturally change us. I can already sense the moving of your spirit and the clearing and blowing away of all cloudiness and clutter. I pray, Lord, that each ear is sensitive to hear the thus saith the Lord, and their heart is ready to obey and completely be transformed into different women, and different men for noble and exclusive use for kingdom purposes. I thank you, Lord, that no one today, through the power that is in your spirit, shall escape the word. Every one of us, including myself, is arrested. So now, Lord, think through my mind. Speak through my mouth. That the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're my strength and redeemer and every glad, happy heart. Say amen. amen. Now, all right, I'm switching. All right, good. Hypocrisy is one of those words that we never want to be associated with ourselves. But when I think about my quote-unquote Christian upbringing, I know for a fact, if I was to evaluate it based on what the word says, I am the definition of a walking contradiction and a hypocrite. Because I practiced doing all the things that a believer does or should do and wearing all the external trappings of a believer. But inwardly, I had deceived myself to think I could just mentally ascend to the uh, aspects of the faith without total surrender to the aspects of the faith. The problem with this was is that it has a time limit on it. You can only live like this so long before you don't like you and everybody else is starting to figure out that you are a counterfeit. That you know how to raise your hands, make the holy ugly face, You know how to say, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. 
and you, 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 you figured it out. There's things I can do to cause my brother or my sister to miss the fact that I'm not in line with God. And the proof of my alignment is not through pure evaluation of my fruitfulness. It is in evaluation of my hot air. The worst thing in the world is Jesus looking at a tree and wanting to get some fruit from it, finding that it looked ready. It, it looked like it should produce something, but when Jesus came to get something from it, he couldn't find fruit, and his reaction was, you be cursed. And I don't want that side of Jesus. People don't talk about that side. We just see him with the lamb on his shoulder, smiling, <laughs> with long hair. <laughs> By the way, a side note, there's nothing to do with my message. You know, I come from a church, a Catholic church in Detroit, where they had the first black Jesus in the rotunda painted in the ceiling. I, I grew up thinking Jesus was black. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's just for fun. I said, Jesus black, y'all? Hallelujah. <laughs> so let me, let me, remember I'm going somewhere. I'm giving you a little setup before we get into the Word. So when you, and my style is to tell you something about my life so that I can get you a spiritual truth that'll change yours. Because if you didn't know it, each of you in this room tonight is headed for a holy confrontation. And it comes with a blow. I'm already telling you. The good news is it ends with some grace. <laughs> but I was like that guy who, you know, I got a privilege to go to a Christian school at a moment. But my church would have us doing catechism class, but then they would throw parties in the church and play all the latest music. And they were there, so the church people were there, the pastor was there, the parents were there, and we was all there. Like we was in the club <laughs> at church. <laughs> we, I was like, whoa, we're at, we at church. And so not only was I hypocritical, I felt the approval of the leadership and that partnership between the sin that didn't get checked in me that didn't seem to be checked in the spiritual realm, wasn't checked in the world, allowed me to think not only was I better than everybody else because I wasn't going to do everything, I was just going to enjoy some things. So I got deceived into thinking that my belief in God was the same as my surrender to God as Lord. Unfortunately, it may be you tonight thinking that belief was enough. Thinking that your passionate, legitimate moves toward God were enough. 
if all he wanted was your worship, that would be enough. But he is asking for your total, complete, and absolute surrender where nothing else matters but what he thinks and what he says, period. I was headed for a confrontation. So a church mother named uh, Miss Peterson one day gave me the first clue that I needed to change. We were at her house, me and some of the, um, my friends. We were getting ready to go to a party, and we stopped by, and she said, let me pray for y'all before you go out tonight. Of course. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you say that? So here's how the prayer went. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would spare their life tonight because I know that if they would die tonight, they would bust hell wide open. <laughs> I'm praying, Lord, that they don't enjoy themselves and that their life is miserable until they surrender to you. She said, now y'all go and enjoy the party. Man, man, I didn't go that night. I hung out with their mama. They went. I said, no, nah, I'm going to hang out here with you. You never put a curse on me, and then I'd, I'd go out and have a car accident, end up in hell. <laughs> I remember saying to Miss Peterson, Miss Peterson, you meant that for them, not me, right? Because I sing in the choir. I'm always in Bible study. Acknowledge my hypocrisy. It's the best hypocrisy around. I'm good at living in and out better than everybody else. She didn't. So I'm leading toward a confrontation. Oh, it's coming. So I, I kind of surrender that night and do what we typically do after the meeting is over. The spiritual pressure seems to diminish, and therefore, my sin pattern just kicks back in. And so, I, and you'll see why I'm telling you this story in just a second when I get to the text. I thought I was better than everybody else because my major sin wasn't sex. I was a virgin when I got married. I wasn't into sex, but I was mostly afraid to have it, not because I was honoring Jesus. <laughs> so, let's just not make me that special. I was a scared. Like, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't into profanity and all this. I was into one thing. It made me feel powerful, and, but I was sinful at the same time. I was a violent man. I was so violent that I, I am a walking bomb. I've been in so many fights. I'm from Detroit. I've just been in a lot of fights. It, it's so real in me of a past thing that haunts me. That if you jump wrong in here tonight, I might throw hands. 
I'm partially delivered. I tell my truth. My, and the reason I knew that is because my son said, Dad, do you know you say crazy things in church? I said, I don't say nothing crazy, son. He said, oh, yes, you do. I said, what did I say? He said, you said, if we ever catch anybody in here bothering any of the kids in the church, we not calling the police. I didn't say that. He said, you said it. So that just give you a little. So this, this is the last story that leads into my, uh, I was at a, okay, good. I was at a, um, I was at a little, let me read the first text before I tell you the story. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 9, verse, we're going to start at verse 1. Yeah, it was my man. Don't hate, relate. <laughs> You're going to see in this story that you got a couple of choices with God. You can either have a confrontation or a conversation. But, but you're either going to have a, converse, a confrontation that leads you to a calling or a confrontation that leads you to a calling. But you're going to choose whether you and God going to talk about it or fight about it. But as long as you're on the planet, he's going to be demanding out of you that calling. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them to prison in Jerusalem. And there he was near Damascus on a journey. Okay, so basically I was like Paul. I told you I was a violent man. One day I was at a party. After all of the times that God had told me, <laughs> what y'all laughing at? After all the times that God had already told me, you need to change. I could, you know, this particular night, I heard God's voice at this party, but I was unwilling to have a conversation. All the music and everything, God told me, you need to get up out of here. He said, the party's going to get shot up, and you need to leave. Because you and parties and this is over. I went outside of the party. I sat out in front of it. Music going on. And, and you, unfortunately, I was a party starter. So the, if I was out of the party, the party was lame. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. So all of a sudden, I got a crowd of people sitting on the ground saying, hey, Jane, what's wrong? I started telling him, I said, man, God just spoke to me. I said, this party about to get shot up, and that, and that he's tired of me leading all of y'all wrong, because I know better. When my foot walked out of the door, it got sprayed. The whole thing got shot up. But that wasn't enough. Ain't it funny? I mean, how many signs do you need? It 
it only ignited the violence in me. I was looking for who was shooting. Who's shooting? Let's get them. It's foolishness. But you got to understand, I grew up in Detroit. It's gang mentality. You looking at a, a gang member. Thank God. Y'all need to thank God I got redeemed. I ain't never telling what I would do. Then I saw, because what you're really seeing is somebody trying to work out their calling without surrendering to it. I saw these skinheads, you know, in America, a skinhead is usually someone that's a white racist. And they were being abusive toward an interracial couple who were walking on my campus. And I asked for a bat. Because that day, I had what I thought to be righteous anger. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's 2 in the morning, 2 a.m. And I said, hey, y'all, go get me the bat. It was about five of them. But I was crazy. My nickname was Maniac. <laughs> it was. Everybody called me that. I said, go get that bat. And in my heart, I had what Paul had, a murderous intent. And I thought I was doing God a favor. And I went, took that bat, and I ran down the hill as fast as I could, getting angrier and angrier. And I'm about this close. I ain't going to hit him. They like, how is this going to end? <laughs> and as soon, I'm, I'm like this. This is a real story. The police pull up. I drop my bat. <laughs> I just start strolling off. But I walked up the hill that night, I walked up the hill that night knowing it was over. And that was the night, after all the time I said I knew Jesus, I don't know why it finally hit. I broke down crying by myself and said, Lord, help me be like you. I finally surrendered. Now, that's a moment. Paul, verse 3, says, And as, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Asked Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city that, that you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. I thought that my encounter was over, but my behavior hadn't changed. And, and, and I, had, I was in, I was now, after having totally surrendered to the Lord, I had a self-righteousness problem. Your problem is not necessarily over. And I think sometimes we think victory in one area means victory in all. OK? 
okay? I only had established the word that Jesus is Lord. That's it. But he had much more to do. And I didn't even believe in God, the Holy Spirit. I didn't even, I told y'all in the leadership meeting, I said, I, I tease people who talked about the Holy Spirit. And one time a, a guy came to me after this experience, and I was witnessing to him right away. And he was witnessing back to me because he knew I was duplicitous in my faith. And he was telling me that he was filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and I began to laugh at him. And I said this out loud. You might have said some things like this. If there is such a thing called the Holy Spirit, and God would give it to you and not give it to me, then I've got a problem with God. And I said it in front of a lot of people. Then I would be telling God, you need to come down here right now. And me and you need to have a conversation while you're giving shady people gifts. <laughs> Just off. Yeah. You're not going to give me nothing. But I know that's not real. And the way I know it's not real is because I don't have it. So they said, all right, well, you go back to the room with us, with eight people, and pray with us. True story. So we there, and I'm mocking them the whole way. We're holding hands. And we start praying. They start praying in their heavenly language. Oh, Jesus. And it's a true story. I saw the light. And as they tell, it's two versions of it, what was happening to me and what they were saying I did at the same time. <laughs> I started screaming at the top of my lungs, please, please get away from me, screaming. I covered my face. I could still see the light. I fell to my knees. I could still do like. I tucked my head as far under my knees as I could. And all I was doing is, please get away from me. I felt like I was going to die. It was Jesus giving me a revelation that I begged not to have. I left that room terrified. I started saying, I started talking like a junkie. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, who? Woo, woo, uh, yeah, okay, here's what we got to do. Can you give me all, all Jesus, who's going to stay with me? Uh, oh, God, you know, the big tough guy with the bat, that's gone. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, uh, I start asking you, do you have any worship music? Um, do you want to spend a night in my dorm room? Something, please. It's just terrified. I had an encounter with God, and I searched for him. I went to church. I found a church. I was going to kingdom halls. I was going to all the places I can go, anywhere. I was that desperate. Went to a church. And I keep picking up the thing. But do you want confrontation every time God want to deal with you? Because what I'm just describing, that's dramatic, isn't it? You want to you want you a dramatic experience because you just wouldn't surrender? God's going to win. 
But he's willing to go through the drama. Now, what you really want to do is just have a conversation. God's going to talk to you. Let's just talk it out. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be a scar, I can make them wise. No. Let's just talk. Because he's too strong. I want you to know, if you don't accept what I'm about to show you about conversation, a confrontation is on the way and it's coming tonight. You don't have to believe it. I would cling to these notes like, man, I, I want to talk to him. It's not fun at the other side. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. He said, Ananias. He said, yes, Lord. Here's how you answer God whenever he responds. Yes, that means yes, boss. Yes, sir. Yes, master. Absolutely, whatever you want. Calling you in a vision means that you weren't planning to talk to God. God interrupted you, and he's talking to you. And you're saying, yeah, I'm willing to listen. How you doing, sir? Absolutely. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is the disposition of somebody who won't have a confrontation. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on straight street. And ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him and restoring his sight. How specific was that instruction? Huh? Could he perhaps think God meant go to Boulder Street? Go find a man named Tommy? Go to a street called Straight at Judas's house. There's a man named Saul. He blind. He sees you coming in, laying the hands. How specific is that? Then how come every time God speaks to us, it's in a veil and it's in a cloud. It's a mystery. It's missing. I'm not totally sure, but it's something. It's out there in the east. In the east. I see the Lord moving in the east. Oh, no, it's in the west. It's in the west. I don't know where in the west, but it's over here in the west. No, no, it's the south. The south. I want you to grow out of that tonight. Well, let me, I don't have time for this list. I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm about to speak to you fast because I'm just adding a special point here to help you. So you got to catch it fast, but you, it's going to be on tape, so it'll help you. Okay. When it's not, if it's just the West or the East that you're hearing, how do you narrow it down? Habakkuk 2 2 said, I will steady myself upon the ramparts. I will watch to see what the Lord will say and what will be the answer of my tongue. 
Then I will write the vision, make it plain upon tablets, that they that read may run, for the vision is yet for a point of time, though it tarry. Wait for it, saith the Lord, for it shall surely come to pass. In other words, he didn't say, I will listen to hear what the Lord will say. I will watch to see what the Lord will say. So the Lord sometimes speaks in word perception. That means for every word the Lord speaks, there's a mental picture attached to it. So sometimes he begins to give you a picture that is really synonymous with a word because he's trying to give you a, a, a whole landscape of what he's doing. But if you don't think that he kind of speaks that way, you kind of dismiss what you're seeing, and somehow your words become parsed and parcel. And you can't really put it together and make it mean anything. So then how do you get clarity when you have a lack of clarity? The Bible says that everyone that asks and keeps on asking, receive. You say, God, I'm not quite sure. Let's stay there. I don't have the full address. I don't have the full moment. And this is what prayer and communication is. If you don't have it clear, you keep going. How do I know that Ananias uh, uh, could get that much of the message? Because he didn't ask anything about it. But this is what he did ask. He asked, verse 13, he said, Lord, answered Ananias, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. I'm holy. That's what he's saying. Look, I'm holy. That's why he's talking to me, God. He don't like my people because I'm your people. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. When you don't like your assignment from God, <laughs> you don't get like Peter and say, no, Lord. You just say, can we talk? Can we have a conversation? Because let me tell you, Lord, if you didn't know, this guy don't like us. And you asking me to put myself in harm's way. You asking me to jeopardize my family, my health, my livelihood, uh, uh, my ministry, everything else I'm doing. You're asking me in this conversation to answer this call and put it all in jeopardy. Are you sure you want to do this? Because many times when God is calling you, you think he's ignorant to the risk. He's not confused. But here's what's at stake, Ananias, if you don't want to listen to me. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! We can talk about it, but let me tell you, you need to get up and start going. I love how God is never confused about what he says. He's willing to talk to you about it. But after he, you said something and God, you know, said, he said, all right, get up. You need to go. This man is chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Ananias, you know nobody's doing that. And they're kings. Nobody's doing that. And to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias, quit thinking about you. I'm about to mess this guy's life up.
You, you worried? What you worried about? As long as your conversation with God takes on a you focus instead of a mission focus, you're going to miss him. Because God is not concerned about Ananias' individual circumstances, situations, or thought patterns and what he feels or thinks. He's only interested in Gentiles getting saved, kings getting saved, and trying to get his person that he's got on lockdown being blind at Judas's house up off his feet doing what he's called to do. You have someone's destiny in your hands. You cannot hear these great prophetic words and say, I'm so happy at our church. We have prophetic ministry that calls out words of knowledge over us. It makes me feel so good and warm on the inside. And you have no intention on giving it. If God wanted that word to be private, he would have had the prophet whisper it in somebody's ear. But in case you didn't know, the word went out over you. And the Bible says this, so shall my word be that goes forth. It shall go out and not return back to me, boy. It should accomplish that where to ascend it. It shall prosper wheresoever it goeth. You don't have a choice once God has spoken to you. And God has spoken to this nation. And that's the reason I'm here. And I'm here to call you up. He's already said go. You have to say yes, Lord. Verse 17, and Ananias went, I surrender, to the house, and he entered it. When he got to that house, he probably saw the helplessness of Paul. I bet you his prayer conversation with God felt a little different when he saw the defenselessness, the brokenness. It's impossible for me to even meditate on brokenness without breaking. Because we perceive the world as having far too much power. We've got the power. The only thing we did with it was just lay it down. And the only time we pick up power is to feel powerful. We don't pick up our power to deal with brokenness. He went with the word, not so that Paul could say, I mean, uh, Paul could say to Ananias, oh, you really can prophesy. I like how you can lay hands. Ooh. I sense in the spirit of fascination with being identified. Break that religious spirit. That's off. You've got to be surrendered. He said, um, where am I? No, Lord. Hands, okay. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. I love that he said, Brother. 
because he's not even aware of the full condition of his heart yet, but he just prophetically knows that God is snatching him out of one thing and bringing him into another. Don't you know prophetic words aren't so weird every time you go out to, in the name of the Lord. God told me to go, and right now what I say, that saith the Lord, that saith the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, stop it! The sinner don't need you to thus saith it. They need you to embody it. Brother! Why well, not your brother? Yes, I'm calling you out. That, that's, how you, now, and that's how you keep spookiness out. Because they're going to run from your campus meeting. I got, I got a word for you. Come on, come on. Come here. Come here. Come here. You. You. I got a word. You. Come on. They're going to run. <laughs> Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, the one you reject, the one you're confused about, the one you think you're helping by murdering and being pharisaical and being rude and dragging people out of houses because they are naming him Lord of their life. That same person that you have failed to identify as the answer to the prophets and the answer to the law as the Messiah. The one who I wrote on your heart and told you from the very beginning that he is the one. The one that you've been suppressing. The spirit of truth that you've been suppressing. Jesus, Lord. He won't talk to you. See, I don't witness like a, you shouldn't witness totally like me, but you should take up some aspects. Because when I'm going to minister to a lost person, in my mind, they already lost the battle with me. Already, already know. I'm either A, going to ruin their life forever by everything I'm going to say and they're going to get in. Or they're going to surrender right then and there. I'm on assignment. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. So, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with his Holy Spirit immediately. And here's how you know Paul is receiving this. Excuse me, Saul. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Powerful, one of the most powerful evangelistic tools on campus and in life is to pray for people. For my years of campus ministry, to the day when I go on campuses, the largest campuses in the United States, Arizona State, Vanderbilt, all these campuses, I keep a little prayer journal. And I just walk up to students and say, what are you, what would you, if you thought God was real, what would you want him to do? Right now, he's going to do that. And something about when God meets your request, you start getting to where Paul is immediately. Something like scales fell from Saul's eye. Because God could release him. Because his heart 
This, you don't, it don't even, it's, it's beyond a confession. His, his, his heart. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. How many of y'all happy I'm on the last point? When you get baptized, my kids have come to me and said, Dad, when we get baptized? I said, no. Because, he said, why, Dad? I said, because I perceive you want to do something because we're commanded to do it, but you don't have a revelation of what it really means to be buried with him in baptism, to be raised with him in newness of life. You don't understand that you're saying, I have been crucified with Christ now. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives. Son, I don't think as a child you're willing to give up you. He got baptized. After all that, I went to a church after all that experience and having the light show up, and I finally got to a church, and a church mother was standing in front of me. The church mothers have changed my life. I believe in women in ministry. If you're a woman, you need to get a shot. They, they didn't change my life. What are you talking about? Women in ministry? They the bomb. All right, so. Church mama looked at me. I'm in the, I, I, I came down. No, what happened was I was sitting there and say, if you haven't been baptized in the spirit, haven't been baptized, you need to come down there. And you know, the thing is about altar calls, I was like the guy who had seen so many of them. I was like, I ain't got no. But this one, for some reason, I just found myself, why am I going down there? <laughs> and I'm down there. And the church mama gets at me, and she said, do you believe he Lord? <laughs> I said, yes, I'm supposed to do it. And she slapped me in my chest. She said, they received the spirit. Hell. <laughs> oh, Lord, mama, shut the hell. Oh, Lord, mama. The ugly one. They took me, they, I, I didn't even know what was happening after that. It was real. I just couldn't stop being done. They put a robe on me. Next thing I know, I'm getting water baptized. <laughs> but you know what was significant? I had been baptized before, but this, to me, I consider the real baptism. Because the revelation that it was no longer I. I was finally willing to accept the third point. Put that word up there. Calling. I was willing to accept it. Oh, everybody need to look at that word. Because we're hastening to the conclusion. No, you will respond. Or you can go for a little holy confrontation. You, you choose. It's over. It is over. Nineteenth verse, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul, come on, music team, you can come up. Saul in Damascus and Jerusalem. Saul sent. Oh, oh I just, that was a heading. Sorry. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. You know, when you've been talking heresy and 
being foolish, even though you've had an encounter, you still need some equipping. He got with the disciples. He got under covering right away. A lot of times we want to have an individual experience with God and think because we have a calling and we need to go, we don't need to submit. Definitely still need to submit. The Bible says at once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this he, the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? You can play, brother. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I think that sometimes we're more interested in our individual titles we get to answer to our calling than the work of our calling just to, to share Jesus. I don't think God showed up and said, Paul, you apostle. <laughs> Paul, you prophet, you pastor of pastors. Everybody waiting on the most terrific word to think it's big enough for you to invest your life. Yeah, he, he finally said enough that's worth me giving my life up for ministry. He gave his life up not knowing what he was going to get. You, unfortunately or fortunately, did not leave this meeting when I gave you the opportunity. <laughs> the joy I have over it, and excuse me if I get emotional about it, because I've fallen in love with Africa. I want to see it reached. I'm zealous for it. I cannot believe I'm standing in front of the people that have changed your nation, hopefully the world. I looked out of my window, my hotel window, overwhelmed by the presence of God, realizing that I was a part of something. I'm just a small player in it, maybe the smallest. But I'm a part of a moment in history where things for your nation change. And you think, how could one room change the nation. Well, how could 12 men turn the world upside down? If you're wondering whether it's you who is called, you're already thinking the wrong thing. Of course it's you. The question is, will you divorce yourself from your past life, your hypocrisy? Will you divorce yourself from suppressing yet another truth that God has revealed because he's written it on your heart? Could this be truly the day that you're saying yes? The type of yes that doesn't last for a moment in a church service. I'm talking about the yes that says we're going to take it. I'm not even talking about the yes that is waiting on the process. I'm talking about the yes that says, while I'm in process, I'm going to be in Damascus 
at least ministering to the people I was going to destroy. That means you are already on a journey. If your family is not saved, they are your responsibility. If your neighbor is not saved, he and she is your responsibility. If your community is not rocked for Jesus, they are your responsibility. Stop thinking about the big things and we don't have a stewardship of the little. Oh, I can hear him calling you. Oh, I can hear him calling you. Hey, Sandolangzi, der Stolnanstola, Delamoto, Demoto, Teston, Dasto, Danmangi. Cannot you hear the sound? Cannot you hear the sound of the feet of those who come, saith the Lord? They come from all over the place, but they are still yet wanderers, searching for someone to walk them into the light. I have chosen you, my beloved one, to walk them into the light of my goodness and my mercy. Have not I equipped you this moment, this night, this hour to have great revival of those who are lost becoming redeemed? Those who are searching, finding me who they are searching for? For I have called you to be the brokers, pulling those out of darkness into my marvelous light. For this is the season and the hour that I've called you to. This is the arrangement we now have as you surrender to me, saith the Lord. Here's how you're going to do this. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. The first group of people I want to talk to, I want to pray for it. first group of people. And I want nobody but myself and leaders looking. No one else, look around. Keep your eyes closed between you and Jesus. If you've been living a life inconsistent with the faith, where you've just been a believer in Jesus, but he's not been Lord of your life, and you know tonight he's settled that issue for you, and you need to best maybe for the first time or realign yourself with Jesus being Lord of your life. Tonight you need to get that right. The only way we're going to express that is with no one looking but me and the leaders. I just want you as a sign of faith so you can know that you and God are doing something. I'm going to tell you when I count to three to just put your hand in the air and take it down quickly. One, two, three. Thank you. I see all of those hands. You can put them down put them down. I'll have a prayer for you in just a moment, but when your hand went up, 
your change began. Your change began. The next set of people. You know that God is calling for the totality of your life. Not part of it. For you, he said, all of it is required. All of it is required. That no longer your business plan, your life plan, he just took it away. But he gave you something so much better. His plan for your life. You have an appointment with Jesus at this front of the room and this altar. And I'm going to have the worship team sing a song called Come to the Altar. And you and Jesus, maybe you got to duke it out. Maybe you got to cry it out. I don't know what you got to do. But it's over. And you're coming to lay your life down. I'm going to have them start the song. And in one moment, when a part of the song, I'm just going to start saying, come. And you get out of your seat. And you come before Jesus.